once you can remove the emotion from it for yourself as a parent, then you can go to your children and say, look, this is, this is how we use money. This is how we've chosen to use money. Um, it's not necessarily about whether it's a good use of money or a bad use of money, but more are, does that serve you? Does that help you accomplish your objective? Why well, don't have an objective? Then, then what could we set in as objective? Like if I'm talking to my kids, I don't say to my kids, we can't afford that. I say, that's not something I'm choosing to put my money into right now. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest here today. I have Sam Knickerbocker here with me. He is a uh, successful entrepreneur with a few different business ventures. He regularly speaks to hundreds of people. He's been featured on the Brad Lee podcast, uh, Stop Taking Money, Stake Action, Get Results, Business and Personal Growth. Uh, he also hosts a podcast called Fuel Your Legacy, which I love because legacy has been a big part of my overall change and the way I see the world. Um, you know, interviewing some people, some very big people like Sam Taggart and Ty Bennett. Uh, he's also the author of Fuel Your Legacy, The Nine Pillars to Building a Meaningful Legacy Book, which I have downloaded personally and I love, as again, I, the legacy is a favorite, one of my favorite topics. And uh, he's educated and led hundreds of families and individuals to a path of financial uh, freedom and peace. And so with that intro, welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, man, I'm excited to jump in with you. Um, you know, I, uh, I kind of share with you before we got on that the legacy, as I talk to people about how they get through very hard times or how do they make big changes in their life, you've got to find kind of your why that's going to drive through you when you're having those days when you're just like, no, nah, man, I'm done. Or I'm going to make a big change. But, you know, and, and for me, it was always legacy. And so I'm kind of curious how you landed on that, um, you know, that thought process be, by, by writing your workbook and by kind of focusing on the things. Because in your workbook, you, you focus on almost nine reasons to have a legacy in there. And so um, I'm curious of like, how did you land on that? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that's interesting is legacy. So I'm like a big uh, word nut, right? So if, if things are, I'm really get into the wordiness of things, I guess I want to know the definition of the words and why I use them the way I have. And oftentimes we hear the word legacy and we think of just money, like it, it directly translates to money. And I learned from a coach that money is really like, if we take the word money away and just talk about value, um, that's really all it is. There's value exchange and there's monetary, which is money exchange. And then there's non-monetary exchange. And every time we use money, it's in exchange for something that's a non-monetary value exchange. And anytime we get money, it's because we offered something of value for somebody to give us money. And 
and this this is a principle that applies no matter what country you're in, no matter what monetary system you're you're working off of, it applies everywhere. And so when I thought of that connection, I thought, man, what what value is it that we're really offering? And, and more importantly, how do we want to be remembered? Because legacy to me is not necessarily financial as much as it is like how are people remembering me? People that I think of that have a, a awesome legacy, right? Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, Mother Teresa, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Abraham Lincoln, right? These people, they could have been wealthy or not. Um, they could have been popular or not, uh, but they left a legacy. People who I wish had a legacy that don't have a legacy, right? Do you know who created or, or actually carved Mount Rushmore under the side of the mountain? Uh, no clue. Not even the first start. <laughs> it, was, it was two brothers. They were like Italian, I believe. I've looked it up. But the thing is, I forget them every time. I look them up again, and I forget them. Because they didn't do anything to market their legacy. There was no advertising. So to build a legacy, I have this, um, this acronym. So we've all heard of SMART goals before. Um, and, and the acronym is S. It needs to be sexy. It needs to be something that when you think of this, you can't take your mind off of it. You hear it and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is happening around me in the world. Like going to the moon, putting a spaceship, putting a car circling the earth. Like why would, would uh, Elon Musk do that? Just cause he can, right? It's something that just catches your mind and you can't stop thinking about it. Um, so it needs to be sexy. It needs to be uh, massive. So massive that you can't actually accomplish it by yourself. Because the, the, to build a lasting legacy, a meaningful legacy, you need to include others. And so it needs to be so massive, you can't accomplish it yourself. And then it needs to be audacious. Now, audacious, people are like, why the word audacious? Because if you don't have haters, if you don't have people drawing contrast between what you're doing and what you're not doing, then nobody knows what you actually stand for. And so it needs to be audacious. You need a little bit of separation, a little bit of tribalism to really create a massive movement. Um, and then it needs to be remarkable. People need to be willing and able to talk about it. So it needs to be a sticky idea that people will want to talk about that they can't not talk about. Um, and then lastly, you got to be transparent. You got to let people know that you're actually doing this. The people in Mount Rushmore, this, what they did was incredible, right? It was sexy. People travel all over the world to go see this thing. Also, it's massive. They didn't do it alone. They had a team of people help them. It's audacious. There's and still today it's controversial whether those faces should be on the side of the mountain, right? So it's freaking controversial. It's audacious. Um, and it is remarkable, remarkable right? right? Yeah. It's remarkable. And the, but they sucked at being transparent. Nobody knows who they were. Now we have like a research museum up there, but unless you go to the museum, you don't know who it was because they didn't market their thing very well. We market it now, but they didn't market it very well. So, so what, with that in mind, that's how I came down to like, okay, what legacy am I actually building? And legacy has way more to do with money. And it has to do with the intention and the impact that I'm having on the world. And that's what this, the, that book, The Nine Pillars to Fuel Your Meaningful Legacy, it was specifically created to help people go from a position of understanding each of the areas where they could create a legacy or that they're going to have an impact, and then programming them to do it um, with the greatest motivation, right? That, that why there's a lot of people who they do things out of fear. I mean, it, it's fear-based motivation. Any type of motivation is ultimately fear-based. Inspiration is love-based. And, uh, as, as you know, in the journal, right? I say, who are your haters? Who are your believers? Who is your team? Who's the country? Who's the state? Who's the, so I'm asking first identify whose life is going to be impacted. Like who, who actually are, is going to know that you did this legacy? Second, how is their life going to be better 
because you did this. Even your haters, most haters, in my experience, you know, and you've, you've created successful companies as well. In my experience, most haters hate on you because they, they doubt themselves. They don't believe that they could personally accomplish it. And so then they want to tear you down with them. Monkeys in a barrel want to keep you in there. It's not because they don't like what you're doing or that they, uh, they don't like it. It's that they don't believe that they could accomplish their dreams. And so they don't want you to accomplish yours. And so really the motivation, and that's why I start off, who are your haters? Who are they? How will their life be better if you do it? Tons of people hate Amazon. They hate Bezos. And yet they still order on Amazon because their life is better for having Amazon around. End of story. And so like, how is their life going to be better if you just continue to do it, even though they're telling you not to? And then what can you do today? What's one action step you could take today to move closer to, to helping those people? So the whole focus of a legacy is actually entirely a motivation of love, sorry, an inspiration of love rather than a motivation of fear or running from something. You know, I love the way you just framed that because I, you know, I don't think that a lot of people take inspiration from haters. I personally do. Like, and when someone says I can't do something, it just, I mean, I don't know if it comes up from a sports background or, you know, the way that uh, things were presented to me as a kid, you know, with my dad and those kind of things, you know, he would challenge me. And whenever he did, I took it as a challenge, not a demeaning, right? And it was like, okay, like watch this, I'm gonna show you. So I love the fact you started the book with the haters because I think a lot of people are worried about that and they don't come out of their shell to do things like, as you say, because it's fear-based instead of saying, okay, if I go do this in front of them and they see me do it, maybe they'll believe that they can do it too, because it's called the crab mentality, right? You don't have to put a top on top of the crab box, right? Because the second a crab starts crawling up, the other ones will pull them back down because they can't crawl out. And so they're in their head. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and, and then further down in this, and this is where I want to kind of touch in, you, you mentioned like, you know, doing it for your family, because for me, I feel like that's the highest tie-in that you can have if you have a family, obviously, you know, um, there's different motivations. I actually started thinking legacy. I was married, but we didn't have any kids and we weren't, I mean, she wasn't like pregnant or anything, but I mean, we, we thought, okay, we're going to have kids in the future. And that became like, okay, what do I want them to see if they don't have many more? Because I lost my dad when I was 19. So I, I had this piece in the back of my head, like, all right, what do I want to leave for them? You know, what, and, I, and I don't mean just monetarily, but how do I want to leave them mindset? How do I want to leave them with, I can follow dad to this path. And I think that it's such a, an amazing concept that you go through and you think individually how you're going to affect other people, right? I'm building a company and I'm going to provide jobs. Well, how does that change the person that works for you? Well, if I'm going to build a company and provide jobs and then they're going to come with me and I'm going to better their lives. And if I better their lives, their kids are going to have better lives. And it just, the snowball effect's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, so, so it's interesting. I'm going to challenge your belief a little bit. Not, not necessarily your belief. I understand um, just from talking to you that family is your motivation because of your experiences. Um, one of the, one of the, things that I think is crucial for people just to be radically honest with themselves um, is really, really be clear about what your core values are and, and don't choose an answer because you think somebody else thinks it should be. So family is one where a lot of people are like, oh, family is a core value of mine. And it's like, mm, I doubt it. Let's look at your calendar. Let's look at where you spend your money. I call BS. You don't, family actually isn't as important to you as you think it is. 
Now that's okay. I'm not judging like zero judgment here. Right. For me, I understand I, I do. I am motivated by my family and that's gradually shifting over time, but more important to me than family is the ability to be uh, like have candor, the ability to speak my mind and, and say what I need to say when I need to say it, how I, however I want to say it, right? That's more important to me than having my siblings like me, having my parents like me, having my kids like me, having my wife like me, like my ability to live in my power is more important than my family. And people can say, well, that's bad and wrong. I don't care. Like the reality is that's the truth. And I'm, I'm not lying to myself anymore. Now, might that change? It might. Um, but that, I'm not lying to myself. The other thing is integrity. That, that's more important to me than family. If, if family's asking me to break my integrity, not interested. I don't care how closely we're related. Doesn't matter. And then gratitude, right? If I, I don't spend time around family members who are negative. When I made that decision, there are certain family members who have fallen out of my life. And that's a, like, do I wish they were with me? Dude, I totally wish they were with me. I love my family. But if I have to choose between living in a negative env environment or being with and being with my family or living in gratitude and around people who see positivity in life. I'm choosing positivity and gratitude every day of the week. And so being clear about what your core values are, I think is crucial when building a legacy. Um, but I yeah. think those run to me, I think those run congruent though. Right. So when I, when I think about that, I think that the core values are the vehicle to the goal right? For leaving that legacy with the family. So sure. if you're going to, I, I 100% agree with you on the core value pieces. And so there are times where I don't just, you know, I'm not trying to make my kids happy. I'm giving them what they, what I feel like they need. Right. And so I think that if you, if you take that and you take like an integrity piece, cause that's an amazing, it's a major piece for me. My kids know that it's better to tell the truth and get in trouble than lie and get, and, 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 and get away with it. Right. And I hear them. And it's an amazing thing because I can hear them sometimes with the, the words that I repeat to them. I see them do that with their friends. Right. Especially uh, my son who's six. Like if I say, hey, man, I was like, uh, I was like, you don't fail. I was like, you, the only way you fail is if you quit. And so if you if you try and you succeed, fantastic. If you try and you didn't do what you wanted to do, you now know a way not to do it. And I've heard him tell his other friends that stuff, you know? And so I, I think that you can kind of, I think they go hand in hand is what I'm trying to say. You yeah. know, the, for me, when I say the legacy was like the why it was because I wanted to get to a point where I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't working all the time. Like I could be for the other stuff. Right. And I want to design my life that way. And it took me 10 years to do it, but yeah. I, that was the end goal was to get there so that I could spend that time with them. And that became, that became when I, when I was working seven, I, mean, I worked 70 hours a week for seven years. Right. And so and it kept my wife at home as a stay at home mom. Did that mean I didn't want to leave the legacy with the family or spend time with them? No. But for me, I thought the best thing for them was for her to be with them. Right. And so I basically worked two jobs so that she could have one, which would be them. And so that they would, they would go off to be better people that way. And that's what worked for our family. You know, it doesn't work the same way for everybody's family. And so I think that that's an amazing concept that you need to understand what your core values are. Because when I talk about family, I talk about my nuclear family, the four of us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, the other part where you talk about, well, we've had some pieces that, you know, we've had some troubles along the way. Yeah. And if I don't feel like it's best for those, them, then it's not best for us, you know? Yep. And no, that's unfortunate. I, yeah. I think that, that another aspect there um, when it comes to family and what I like about the family unit is 
um, you can't really lie to your children. You can't really lie to your wife. Like they know all of your tells. They know, they know when you're lying to them or not. So it's the most real raw, real mirror of how you're showing up. And this is one of the reasons why legacy is so important to me is what happened. I've seen this happen over and over and over. Sometimes with my own grandparents, it's like, come on guys. Uh, but they'll, they'll live their life a certain way. Then it gets closer to them dying and they're like, oh, this is what was important to me all along. And it's like, no, I call BS. You like, you can't just live your life for 60 years one way. And then on the flip of a dime, decide that something like the opposite of how you lived your life was important to you. So you can't just leave a legacy. It's not something you go build a structure and leave a legacy. When, if you're planning on leaving a legacy, you need to learn to live the legacy you want to leave. And I think that the family is the best unit to really identify, am I on point? Am I actually living the way I'm professing and, and the way I want to be remembered? And if I'm not, then I'm out of alignment and I need to make that correction and live the way I want to be remembered rather than just telling people I want to be remembered this way and living incongruent. Because my, my three-year-old, he'll call me out. Right. <laughs> it gets it gets worse. Just so you know, it gets even. A guy would say it gets better and worse. Like they get better at it than than you than they do it three. Like at four or five. My my daughter actually today's my daughter's ninth birthday, and uh, dude, she. I mean, you, there's you not get anything by her than ever, and she's been that way since she was a little bit. Like it gets they get more and more aware, you know. Yeah, I, I prefer awesome. that. Like, oh, I love, I love it too because then it keeps yeah. you. You can't. You just can't make the decision to do that. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's how it should be. And I don't think you should. You know, I, I, but I would say something. So as you mentioned about with like, like 60 years of life and then saying, this is how I want to be remembered. I, I would challenge someone if they're listening to this now that I think of life and especially with money, right? As, and as let's use as an example, like your money story, like what have you written so far in a book? So it's almost like you're writing a book, right? And whatever chapter you're at, right? I don't know what chapter I'm in because I don't know when the end of my book is. But I do know that I've gotten so, so far, I've got a money story with what I've done with money, what I'm leaving with money, the legacy that I'm leaving. But one of my favorite quotes is from Henry Ford. And it says, you cannot build your reputation on what you're going to do. Right. And it's almost a flip side for the legacy piece of what you're talking about. You cannot tell people what your legacy is going to be. Mm -hmm. Right. But I would challenge people, even if you've been doing the same thing for 60 years and saying, this is what I want my legacy to be, then start living it today right? Be conscious of it. And then, and then do the things that you want to be remembered for. You know, it's almost like Colonel Sanders going out at 65 and starting KFC, right? But <laughs> it wasn't a chicken guy before 65, right? And then he became the most famous chicken guy on the planet. <laughs> so it can be done. It just, you can't, I, you, you can't say that I'm gonna do something to build a reputation. Like you have to, reputations are earned and built over time. And it's the same thing with a legacy, you know? Yep. No, I can, I can play your game. I love that. Yeah. And it's not something you can let, but I, I feel like if you say, well, I've screwed up for the last 40 years. And so that's what I am. I'm a screw up. No, you were a screw up for 40 years today. You're not going to be a screw up anymore. Right. And then you decide, well, what do I need to do to stop screwing up and make those choices? Because it gives you control. The only thing you do wake up every single day with is choice. Yeah. And I agree. I think, I think the main issue that most people fall into is that they're just simply unaware, specifically with money. Like I sit down with clients every day and they come in and before I sit down with them, right? When, when they're determining whether they wanna sit down with Sam or not, which uh, believe me, not everybody's a good fit. Uh, I, as blunt as I am on this podcast, that's how I am in real life. So like, 
if I if I see you doing some self defeating behavior, I'm gonna call you out on it. To, I've to never been known as a soft person, <laughs> so, I, I but I live my life. At the end of the day, I live my and I, I I go to bed knowing that I said to you what I needed to say. Absolutely. I, what so I fun. felt like, I, and that's not even true. I, I felt like I, what I said to you is what I felt at the time you needed to hear. Not even that what I, what I needed to tell you, but it doesn't always make that right either. Because sometimes you know we're all we're all people. So, but yeah, I agree with you on that one. Sure. I mean, I, I was talking to a client this morning before we hopped on this call, and she she's talking about her money habits. She's like, you know what? Finally, we just decided to split our finances because I don't like where he spends his money. So I'm just gonna and and I was like, man, that's that's really unhealthy. You realize how unhealthy that is and how much trauma that's going to cause in your life and his life and all of your children's life like that's a recipe for divorce just so you, like just so you're aware like i'm not i'm not prophesying your relationship i think it's not past repair like we can fix this but like that habit is is on the pathway down the trail of a divorced parent, couple not a, a happily thriving couple and it's simply because judgment and lack of un, like oh, i would say condemnation of somebody's financial choices and um, lack of compassion for that and lack of understanding. So the key thing with most people is they're scared to actually account for where their money's going. They're scared to look at it. They don't look at it. They think if I just don't look at it, I don't have to be aware of it. And that is the, I think the single biggest um, thing that's harming people today is that they're not even aware. The, I can bring in anybody I haven't found anybody I can't do this with. I'll put it that way. Um, I can't say 100%, but I can bring in just about anybody. And after going through their budget, they can be thinking they're either going into debt every month or living paycheck to paycheck. And when they leave my office, they have three to $400 a month that they could start putting away for their future because they weren't even aware of a lot of the things that they were spending their money on. Once we gain awareness, then they're like, oh, really? I spend that much money at the gas station on soda? I spend $300 on soda and chips at the gas station every month. Whoa. You know, if I just cut that back, if I cut that in half, that's 150 bucks I could save. If I cut it completely out and went to Costco and bought boxes of chips, 54 chips in a bags of chips in a box for $10 versus $250 a bag of chips every time I go to the gas station, I mean, like, I'm saving hundreds of dollars a month. It's those little things that they're not even aware of how much it's impacting them until they actually look at it. And then they're like, oh my gosh. And you can take that same inventory with every aspect of your life, not just money. Um, but I think money, once you take that with money, you start seeing that everywhere else in your life. That, that yeah. transaction. I, it was a radical shift for me. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember at one point I talked to my, uh, my wife and I was like, I was like, we got to talk about shampoo use. And she was like, what? Because this is when I was real far in the hole. And I was kind of, I mean, I was looking for pennies everywhere I could think of them. And I'm like, let's just, okay. So if you're using this much, you're going through a bottle every five days, like this is how much that costs over a year. What if you could stretch that into 15 days or buy a brand that costs this much or like, you know, we started like, and she was like, wow. And I mean, I, I was finding, I mean, I found $15,000 between, you know, just looking at like the things of going through a year and that's where I started is, okay, I got 15 grand to play with now. Now let me go back to these debtors and see what I can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started just, you know, who can I negotiate with and who I can do those things. And, um, 
But I, so there was something in there that as you were talking um, about looking in the mirror is probably the hardest part for um, people to get a, a grip on their finances, right? And I want to bring that back to what our audience is, because I also feel like there's a piece of people that don't want to talk to their kids about money for that same exact reason, right? I don't want to tell you about how you should do things because then I'm going to have to look at how I'm doing them. <laughs> and so I'd like to get your thoughts on that. No, I mean, that is, that is a uh, spot on. I think what, let's take this conversation just one step back and then we can address that um, here in a second. But in our culture, and I, not everybody is religious, but just about everybody's heard of the Bible. Okay. And, and one of the greatest money lies, whether you're religious or not, is that the money's the root of all evil. And so that, that's one. And then the other is that we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge people. We shouldn't judge others. Um, but what's interesting, uh, so I, I'm going to use an example here. If I'm driving down the road and a light turns red, I have a choice. I can blow through the red light or I can stop. Okay. Is either one right or wrong? De depending on what you believe, right? I would say neither one is right or wrong. I'm going to make a judgment call about my personal safety and my personal being, and I'm going to stop my car. Okay. That's a judgment call. We all have to make judgment calls. If we can remove the emotion, then it's a judgment call. If it's, if we're applying emotion into a decision, whether it's good or bad, now we're condemning by, by even saying that this is a good way of doing something. We are now simultaneously condemning every other option as a bad way of doing something. And so it's really the energy that comes with money that's so traumatic. It's not necessarily the money itself. It's not necessarily the mirror, the reflection itself. It's that we've been programmed to have this energy towards one result or the other. And one of the biggest things that my clients will tell me over and over and over and over is when they came in, they were able to fully expose everything and not feel one ounce of of shame, guilt, embarrassment, like, and anytime they started to do that to themselves, I remind them, Hey, this is that that's, there's not, we're not doing that right now. We're not judging what it is. We just got to find out what is first, Let, let's find out what is. And then we'll say, do you enjoy that? Right. I have somebody who really values food. I don't value food. They're going to spend twice as much on their food budget than I do. Is either one of us right or wrong? Nope. Just have what, what do you value? And so once you can remove the emotion from it for yourself as a parent, then you can go to your children and say, look, this is, this is how we use money. This is how we've chosen to use money. Um, it's not necessarily about whether it's a good use of money or a bad use of money, but more are, does that serve you? Does that help you accomplish your objective? Well, I don't have an objective. Then, then what could we set in as objective? Like, if I'm talking to my kids, I don't say to my kids, we can't afford that. I say, that's not something I'm choosing to put my money into right now. Right. It's, it's about those little phrases of it's our choice. We're in control. And that's just not a focus for us. I don't see how that's going to benefit us. Um, and also having open uh, conversations in front of your children with your spouse as long as you've got, as long as you're coming from a position of love, compassion, and not no no condemnation, just a judgment call, then you can have those conversations in front of your children, and there's no arguments. It's just a discussion about what do we feel is going to serve our family the best in this moment. Do we go to Burger King or do we go to um, 
I don't know, like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? Is either one right or wrong? No, not it's just which is going to serve us the best in the in the moment that we're in. Yeah, I think a lot of the part of it is that once you determine where your money is going, then you can determine where you want to tell it to go, right? Mm -hmm. Because you become in control because you use that word in there. And I think that that's a, uh, I think that's a big piece. And I think that when people have that intrepid, you know, that anxiety, I guess is a good word for that, of having those discussions, because we talked about looking in the mirror and those kind of things, you know, it, it really shouldn't be based around fear, because I think the, the strongest thing you can do is to start doing that right is to is to start to make a conscious decision that wait 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 i am in control and if i don't like what i've been doing i don't i want to make sure that my kids know that they have the strength to make the choices that they want like what am i teaching them what is the legacy of the way that our family handles money or makes decisions or you know approaches these kind of subjects because if you can be objective about it and you can look at things and say, well, you know what? I just really like going to steakhouses, but you know what I don't really like? I don't really like the 19 uh, apps that I have on my TV. I really don't even watch Netflix anymore, right? Like I, I'm kind of, I've been watched everything I want and I really just don't, it's not important to me. Wipe out all of those and keep going to your steakhouses. Like you just, you can pick value pieces. And the other portion I would say is this is like, if you say, well, I'm living, you know, paycheck to paycheck or life to life and what I want. Okay. Is there somewhere another way that you can increase what you're bringing into the household in the other way? Right? So yeah, I can save three or 400 bucks here, but could I do 300, three to 400 bucks more because I want to spend some more time with my kids? Well, what can we do together to generate this three to $400 so I can teach them a skill set and I can spend time with them along the line of doing that. Right? And so by having both of those sides to it and understanding that you're in control of the actual outcomes, you know, the bank account is not, it's just the scoreboard. It's not the game. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't be the Yankees and be like, oh yeah, we want nine runs. Well, how are you going to get there, man? you got to have batting practice, pitching practice. You know what I mean? you got to run drills. you got to practice. you got to practice over and over again. Then in the game time, when you're actually playing the game, you have to make decisions and you have to perform and you have to show up from all the things that you said you were going to practice and fill your, you know, for me with money, it's always what you're going to fill your brain with is your practice, right? If you are listening to things and you're, li and you're, and you're just mind-numbingly, you know, series and that kind of stuff, if you start listening to things like podcasts that are about being better with your money, that's your practice time. You know, and then you get out in the world world and you, you execute in the game time. And then the scoreboard is your bank account mm -hmm. and, that, and it changes. It, ought, it has to. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that that's the, for, for me, that's one of the biggest things that's helped my clients is just help, help them through that process without any, again, cause we're programmed with the, with the judgment. So you have to have somebody, oftentimes you need a coach and there's not no shame in getting a coach. But every, every successful team has yeah. a coach. Run the, I, I, run the Patriots out when they won all their Super Bowls, but take Bill Belichick and all of his staff off the sideline and see how they do. He's yeah. never thrown a pass in the NFL, right? But I guarantee you if he's not on that sideline and all the coaches aren't on that sideline, that team is losing every single game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's the, the big thing. People are scared to, to expose themselves. But uh, one thing, I, I don't know where I heard it. I think I heard it from Brandon Brown, but – I love this quote and I say it enough that I don't know who else to quote it to. <laughs> uh, that is that vulnerability is the ultimate um, connection. 
like like being willing to be vulnerable is the ultimate connection so i'm not scared to share any of my past or my past money habits traumas whatever with my clients and that allows them to be able to share hey this is this is where i'm at i'll pull open my budget like my actual transactions i track this every probably insanely but i like it so i track it every every saturday for 15 minutes i go through and do every all my budgeting um, so i know where every penny is but i have i'll pull my spreadsheet up with my clients and show them hey this is my financial situation like i'm not sitting here pretending one way or the other it's exposed i'm exposing myself um a few years ago we were driving old cars driving a 10 year old Honda Civic. And I, by the way, I really like Hondas, but so I was driving this 10 year old Honda Civic and then I, it was costing me repairs. I was having to do 10 like repairs every month. And I was like, this is crazy. After a year of that, I was looking at my budget. And I was like, I wonder how much it costs to lease a brand new Honda Civic. Go in, it was an extra $30 a month and I could lease a brand new Honda Civic for the same cost. It was costing me to have my old Honda Civic and do the repairs and everything was going to be the same. I was like, really? $30 difference between driving an old car and a brand new car. Like at that point I could make a financial decision about what kind of car I wanted to drive. And it wasn't like, Oh, I just want to go in to get more debt. It was, well, this, like I'm already spending the money. It's just, where do I want, do I want to be driving this while I'm spending the money or driving something older and have the prestige of, well, I own my vehicles, dude, nobody cares. Like nobody cares if you own your vehicle. Like I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. Like that was a financial decision for me. It made sense. And I could make an argument against it for somebody else, right? But for me, I value driving ni nicer cars, newer cars, safer cars. And so I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, again, you're, you, if you know where your money's going, then you can tell it where to go, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just, I love that kind of concept because it's like, all right, well, I'm not making an emotional decision to go get a new car. I'm saying, okay, let's line up the numbers. And a lot of times you'll find out that, yeah, there's, there's decisions made with thought processes, right? And so I used to run, I applied a lot of the business decisions that I've had to learn and business. Um, and this is why I, I really want entrepreneurship to be taught because most of what it is, is just decision-making, you yep. know, choices and decision-making. And when you can take that back and apply it into life, it's, uh, man, it's a long, it's, it's all the same stuff, right? Like, that's why the podcast is money talkers, because you talked about being vulnerable. You know, I, I haven't been way open w about when, you know, I crashed and burned and what I did about it. But honestly, one of the most freeing things for me after about a year of feeling just as like a complete failure was I started talking about it. I was like, you know, dude, you won't believe the conversation I had to do to negotiate with this credit card company that was coming after me. And people were like, and I, I would, I would kind of just open up and their eyes would kind of open up and then they'd be like, Hey, you know, I'm dealing with blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And they, and they would start talking to me and it was like, I could see that like I was getting it for therapy for getting the release off my shoulders. But then it was like, as soon as I opened up about it, other people did. And that was kind of where like the money talkers kind of conversation started was like the second I was able to say like, I don't know how this works. Other people were like, I don't either, <laughs> you know, and, and we all, we all kind of just looked and we're like, ah, all right, let's figure it out. Who knows how to, how this works? Let's ask him, you know, let's ask our other buddy. Let's ask our other friend. Like, you know, and so when I started doing that, I started relying on people that were specialists in the pieces. My life got a whole lot easier, you know, and, and I don't mean easier in the fact of like, I just wasn't carrying that burden around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? so oftentimes people feel like they're hiding something. I, I tell people, 
Um, you just need to be honest with yourself. And this is what I mean by honest. When you run out of money at the end of the month and somebody asks you if you can go out, most what do most people say? They're liars and they're like, oh, sorry, something came up. It's not going to work out. We got something else planned. When really the fact is they suck with their money and they ran out early and they can't go. Like that's, that's the brutal, honest truth. I suck with money or I, so far, I spent it on other things. It's gone, right? If we we're that brutally honest with our friends, how long would we want to keep having that conversation? Oh, I think, I think you'd be, I think you'd run away from that in a heartbeat. And I would say the other option is we start borrowing from our future work, you know, at one and a half times what it's going to cost us to go out that time when we were already bad with our money, right? Start pulling the plastic out and I'll, I'll pay for this next month. And then it becomes minimum payments. Now you're paying four times as much for what you just went and didn't have fun. Yeah, I think on that same same note, though, so this is a big contention that I have with uh, Dave Ramsey. And and again, Dave Ramsey's great. I grew up listening to him. I'm not here to like tear anybody down, but I studied neuropsychology before I got into finance. So from my my whole concept of money comes purely from like almost a neuro-linguistic programming perspective. And one of the unfortunate things is if we focus and talk negatively about debt, that's only from a, a... honestly, 100% a lack of understanding of what money is. Um, Every dollar bill that you have, every dollar that's in a computer system, you have to understand that is a direct representation of a debt to the Federal Reserve. Like money is purely a debt. It's the Federal Reserve creates money and then they loan it to our government. Our government prints notes to, to represent money. Like every dollar that you could possibly earn is debt inherently. And so the idea that we create this negative connotation around debt is is unfortunate. Now, to to the credit card interest, I I get flack for this all the time. I went to a coach and I said, look, coach, um, I want to work with you. Well, it costs this much. Okay. So it cost me a 10 grand and I put that on an 18% interest credit card, Amex card, right? Now, a lot of people would be like, what the heck? That's 18% interest that you have to pay on that. 11,800 bucks. Do you want to pay it or not? Sure. It's like, so all that really matters is that the final cost of my investment is a little bit more, but what yeah. if, what, how do you feel? And again, this goes back into the energy and the, the psychology, psychology. How do you feel about paying somebody back that you feel like is, is uh, stealing money from you, right? So people feel all this negative, oh, they're charging way more than they need to, all this interest, right? They feel really negative about it. Are you excited to pay, pay that back from a negative energy perspective? You're not like you're you, it, you're begrudgingly paying off your bills when instead, if you change your mindset and said, man, I'm so grateful that when I didn't have the resources to, to live the life that I wanted to, somebody was willing to extend their capital, their reputation only because they believe in me, by the way, if a creditor doesn't believe that you're going to pay them back, how much money do they loan you? A big fat zero. None. So the only reason you even have access to credit is because they believe in you and your ability to pay them back like that. If that's not like uplifting, positive, like, man, they believe in me, I can do this. Then I don't know what is right. Those creditors, they believe in you. If they didn't, they would wipe your, your debt clean. I promise you they will. It's called bankruptcy. There's a time and a place for that. But the fact that they're still asking for interest means that they actually believe in you. And that's a wonderful thing. So I'm grateful that they believe in me. I'm grateful that they were willing to extend that capital to me so that I could actually live this aspect of my life and gain this experience. Now, in return for that, as part of my gratitude, I'm going to be um, giving them back a little bit extra 
tipping them, you might say, for giving me that experience earlier than I could have afforded it. Like think of the energy difference and of how you would want to, like how you feel paying back those bills if that's the mentality and that's the belief around money rather than, oh my gosh, I'm paying all this in interest. How do I escape this? It's just a different energy for sure. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, you know, I just, on my side with that, you, you decided like when you talk about probably not your coach, there's a means to an end. Would you pay $12,000 for it or $10,000, right? And that's if you're going to pay it back. My point to it is that like, if you go to Lowe's and buy something, you know, I have a Lowe's bill recently came out and it was, uh, it was four times as much if you continue to be on the minimum payments, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that I bought, I would not be willing to pay five times what I paid for it, right? If you said, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this patio furniture, $500 or $2,500, I would say no. I'm not willing to pay $2,500 for this patio furniture. Right. But so that's what I, that, there's, you know, I, I believe what you're saying because I, I do believe in the way that you look at things is the way that you see them because I believe in paradigms big time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and our ability to control our paradigm is one of the biggest gifts we've ever been given. And if, if, so if you can change that mentality, you change the way you see the world, then you can see opportunities when you want to see them. If you decide to look for opportunities. Right. I also believe that like, when things happen to you, happen for you, right? But you can choose to pick those things. I also believe that like when you have your initial reactions, you can choose to drop that initial reaction and change your paradigm. And that's, a, that's the most control ability, I think, in our lives because we choose the way we get to see things. And when you do that, I think that it's freeing. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and, and when you're in the wrong way, you can stop and say, Hey, wait, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going down the wrong path. And you can stop to control that. You know, those are things I believe that you can control. If you just say, well, it's not my fault. Right. I will I'm, I'm mad and I'm just mad. Just live with it. Right. <laughs> like you're not serving anybody, man, Don't, especially not yourself. So <laughs> I love me too much to be able to just let you ruin my day. Right. <laughs> and so, um, but Hey man, listen, I, we've got to run. I, I want to get into so many more talkers just talking with you, but, um, Sam, uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing um, and who should come find you? Yeah, so great question. Um, SamNickerbocker.com, so I'll spell it for you. It's S-A-M-K-N-I-C-K-E-R-B, as in boy, O-C-K-E-R.com. So SamNickerbocker.com, you can get a copy of the the book there for free or you can go find it on Amazon. Um, have multiple journals on Amazon kind of helping you walk through these mental processes of reframing how you view the world, changing your paradigms. Um, it's huge for me. I think that's the, the number one aspect around money that people need just to shift. And, and so I've created journals for that. Um, also, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I have two profiles on LinkedIn. Um, so, <laughs> so if you find either one, one is uh, to build my business. I, I'm looking for, for new people to work with me uh, and to be partners with me. And then the other profile um, is really targeted towards loan officers. I have a passion for, for helping people with big problems. So if you're sitting there and it doesn't really matter where you're at, this is specifically targeted towards loan officers, but people who uh, they've already maxed out their 401ks, they've already maxed out their IRAs, they've already maxed out all their investments that they, they, they know of, and they just flat out don't know where else to put money. Um, I, like I, I work with people regularly. They've got 100, 200, 300, 400, 500,000 dollars sitting in a checking account because they just don't know where else to put it. And so those are those are people that I work with. But I work with people from that side of the realm all the way down to somebody. If you if you've ever said to yourself, "I don't have money to save," then you should be calling me. Like th- there's really no excuse. You should be calling me. 
and, and sitting down free, free of charge. I will sit down with you for an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it takes to help you see that you do have money. Now, whether you choose to put that anywhere, that's up to you, but I will show you that you have money. That's my commitment because I, it's, I believe so much in the ability to choose. No, I love that, man. That's uh, that's strong stuff. And so, um, Money Talkers audience, if you're in either one of those categories, make sure you go check out what Sam's doing. Um, there's nothing better than an honest uh, coach and an honest person from that's a third party because that, that's the step that you have to take. If you're not in control, take the first step to get in control because that's all it takes. You can't end up at the end of the thousandth step unless you take the first one. So, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on Money Talkers with me and, uh, and we'll hop on here for the uh, High Impact Series next. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.